boys and girls, welcome back to the Left Coasters Podcast. My name is Tony Cavallo. I'm with Brian the Ballerina Balzarini. I'm with Matt Dangles, D'Angelo Antonio, and we are here this week to break down the 2017 Los Angeles Rams. We're back to the old song. We're back to the old breaker with the Ram, and we're going to break down the coaches. We're going to break down the cornerstone players. Brian has info on the incoming draft class with another great name coming into Los Angeles. Oh, boy. And uh, then we'll be breaking down the, the how they're going to do this season with the win-loss record, probably not as well as the Chargers, as we had the Chargers. And then at the very end, we are going to start our journey on what will take us this whole year where we ask ourselves the question, are you a Rams fan or are you a Chargers fan? Oof. It is going to be a doozy up an episode, I and know, I can't wait to get started. I didn't know coming in that I was going to have to make a call on this. I I would have I would have I guess that was the point. That's but the I would point, have, baby. I would have I would have. Wow. Okay. All right. I'm We're gonna, diving I'm right about, in. I'm starting thinking about it now. It's it's <laughs> what it's the question every Los Angelino needs to be asking themselves: Which so. football fan are you? And so, with no further ado, let us break down into the 2017 Los Angeles Rams. Guys, are you ready? Let's do it. I'm going to start this one off, guys. Uh, let's start uh, from the top, and we'll go down. We've talked about the Rams' history before. What we're going to do now is just dive right into the head coaching staff. Uh, the or new. The, the new coaching staff. And we have a special treat for you coming up. A friend of mine who is uh, a Washington Redskins beat writer and reporter and uh, who knows Sean McVay personally, the new Rams' head coach. Uh, he's going to tell us a little bit about who Sean is and what he's going to bring to the team and what we should expect to see in the season coming up. Uh, but just for some background before... Before we get to uh, my friend Craig Hoffman, who will join us in a little while, let's start with Sean McVay, our new head coach. At 30, he is the youngest head coach in modern NFL history. He surpassed Lane Kiffin for that honor, who is currently uh, uh, dwindling his years away as the head coach of the Florida Atlantic University Owls. Owls. Go Owls. But you know he's banging all those college chicks. But you know he's probably banging all those college chicks. And uh, recruiting 14-year-olds. 14-year-olds who couldn't get scholarships to the University of Florida. So, uh, so he's... Eight-year-olds, dude. And he comes, he comes from football pedigree. Uh, his dad, Tim, plays played defensive back at Indiana University. His grandfather, John, though, he was the heavyweight. Uh, John McVay was, coach for, was a coach for a few years in the NFL with various teams before he moved to a front office role as vice president uh, and director of football operations for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, and he was a huge part of that 80s and, uh, well, basically all five of their that Super dynasty. Bowl championships, that dynasty with Pedigree, Joe Montana and, uh, and, and Jerry Rice. Uh, so he helped build that. So Sean McVay is the grandson of this guy, John McVay. Uh, Sean McVay played quarterback and defensive back in high school. He transitioned to wideout in college at uh, Miami University of Ohio. Go Redhawks. Uh, he had 39 catches for 312 yards as a wideout in his college career. So not a particularly prolific wide receiver. More catches than I had. More catches than I had, certainly. Uh, so he decided to go right into coaching after he graduates. Uh, he's an assistant wideout coach with Tampa in 2008. Then he spends a year as wide receiver and quality control coach with the Florida Tuskers of the UFL. Yeah. Whoa. He went away from the NFL for a year to the UFL. Regretted that, probably. Yeah, probably regretted that. Then he gets hired by the Redskins in 2010 and is an assistant tight ends coach. He gets promoted in 2011 to the full-fledged tight ends coach position, and he did that until 2014 when he was uh, promoted to offensive coordinator. In his first year as the Redskins offensive coordinator, uh, McVay basically came in and retooled their offense uh, completely. They jumped from 25th overall in the 2013 season to 10th overall in the 2014 season they were 12th in passing and 17th in rushing on offense to give you an idea of how far they came from not Sean without Sean McVay to with Sean McVay Uh, last year Washington's pass offense was the third best in the NFL the entire offense was 12th best in the NFL they were the first Redskins offense in franchise history to average over 400 yards a game and to net uh, and they netted a franchise record 6,545 yards. So that's a big deal. That's just, and that's, I, I say all this, it's, yes, it's about the Redskins, but it is to say that Sean McVay came in and in almost no time whatsoever turned this offense into a complete and total juggernaut and, and, you know, really, and, and, and eventually helped get them back into the playoff picture. How many years did, was he a tight ends coach? He was a tight ends coach for, uh, let me do some quick math here. Uh, Carry the one divided by years. two. Four years. <laughs> Yeah, well, that says something because I believe the one crazy stat also is that he actually had the most prolific offense from a tight end perspective. 
last year uh, with Jordan Reed. And uh, just for uh, all those people listening, that's a little foreshadowing to our draft class, which Ooh. some of you already know about. Oh, boy. Uh, but we'll talk more about that later. You Look will, what we're building we, in here. I know. It's a little bit of foreshadowing. I enjoy it. Big words, guys. <laughs> so, Shawnee Boy, we'll have Craig talking a little bit, hopefully give us some insight on him. Who else we got coming into town? Uh, who else we've got coming into town? Uh, Matt LaFleur, the offensive coordinator, LaFleur. coming coming fresh off of an appearance in the Super Bowl. As the quarterback coach for the Atlanta Falcons, where he coached Matt Ryan to an MVP season, he got his sixth straight year of throwing for 4,000 yards, the only other quarterbacks to have done that in NFL history, Drew Brees and Matthew Stafford. Yeah, go Lions. So he is among a very, very select group of, uh, of, of, of quarterbacks, Matt Ryan, in that sense, uh, under the tutelage of Matt LaFleur. Uh, Matt LaFleur bopped around between the pros and college for most of his career since it started in 2003, first at some small schools, a lot of them in Michigan, Saginaw Valley State, Central Michigan, did Northern he, Michigan. Did, did he play football himself? Um, I believe so. I, I, think I think he was, was a quarterback for Central he, Michigan. He was actually a quarterback, yes, and it may have been Central Michigan. Get the I'm not fuck sure. out of here. I think I know this guy. Um, and uh, His and older eventually... brother, Peter LaFleur, was a great dodgeball champion. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, dynamite. So, uh, uh, you threw me off with that one. That's funny. Uh, so he goes, uh, and in 2008, he gets to the pros as an offensive assistant with Houston. He then goes to Washington as the quarterback's coach. He works with Robert Griffin III in that impressive rookie season that mm-hmm. he had, the one good year that he had, uh, when the Redskins won their first NFC East title in 13 years with Robert Griffin at the helm. He then goes back to college as quarterback coach for Notre Dame in 2014. He coached uh, Everett Golson uh, when he was there. Uh, and then he comes back to take the quarterback coach job in Atlanta in 2015, uh, which brings us to, obviously, the Super Bowl last year. Uh, he says that he's known McVay for a long time, and they pretty much he pretty much knew right away that Sean was going to be a head coach someday. Uh, and he feels like his offense is all on the same page philosophically, and now it's kind of just a matter of spreading, uh, spending time hammering down these concepts better familiarizing himself with the players strengths and weaknesses and with Sean McVay calling the plays on offense I think you can expect to see Matt LaFleur playing more of a supporting role focusing more on quality control organization of schemes and players which is what he's used to as the QB's coach exactly and Matt LaFleur played for the Saginaw Valley State uh, Cardinals and then moved on to the Omaha Beef of the National Indoor Football Omaha Beef that's a great name Omaha Beef that's a fantastic great branding yeah I want to see like their logo the Omaha beef. All right, let's move on to defense because well, I'm excited. Thank you about for letting me clarify. I will. I will. I will. And just and really quickly, I think that's important that you know McVeigh is calling the uh, the plays on offense uh, because he loves tinkering with concepts. He loves scheming and gave and judge ju- adjustments to fit personnel matchups. And we're going to hear a little bit more of that, about that from Craig later. But it's really almost surgical and it, in a technician like way the, the the way he does it. So this is going to mean a lot of adjustments. I think at the line for Jared Goff, he's going to be expected a lot more. I think to be making adjustments, calling Uh-oh. out schemes. And and which which worries me a little bit, Uh-oh. but he value and and so we'll see what happens with that. So yes, moving on to the defense, uh, we've got Wade Phillips. This is a name that if you're a football fan, you should know very 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 well. He comes to the Rams as uh, defensive coordinator for his 48th year of coaching football. 35 of them as either a defensive coordinator or a head coach. Um, you're not going to go through every team he's ever coached. No, I'm not. Thank no, you. I'm not. I am going to tell you though that <laughs> I am going to tell you though that Wade Phillips was in his fourth NFL coaching stint as the Eagles defensive coordinator when. Sean McVay was born in oh 1986. Uh, Phillips had been coaching in the NFL 10 years prior to that. Wow. So before this job, he was the Broncos defensive coordinator. He led that defense to the Super Bowl in 2016 and a fourth overall ranking in total defense. He's been part of 20 top 10 defenses through his coaching career. Wow. Which is really uh, wow. one of the best stats that I saw. It was really, really impressive. Um, and he's been a head coach in Houston. That was interim Dallas, Buffalo, Denver, and even New Orleans. That was also an interim job. He's coached 31 pro bowlers in his career and i just love the amount of experience he brings to the coaching staff i think sean's going to lean on him a lot as as almost a father type figure i couldn't imagine a better pair seriously Mm -hmm. right juxtaposition um, of old and young and the one thing to note about that should be that is going to be interesting with them going forward is the rams defense is going to be shifting from a 4-3 to a 3-4 um, and and that I think uh, who, who the focus of that is going to be on Aaron Donald uh, because you know a lot of the question is okay well if you shift him to a three four he's a three technique uh, guy he's not going to be able to utilize those skills as easily in a three four uh, uh, scheme fortunately it's not that simple for Wade Phillips he's the kind of guy who's like I'm not going to build a defense 
or rather, I'm not going to have, make my players fit the defense that I want to run. I'm going to build my defense around the players that I have and the skills that I have. So he's still going to put Aaron Donald in that three-technique spot in the defensive tackle place where he does so much damage. Uh, so I don't expect, with especially with a guy like him, that there's going to be. I mean, there's going to be some learning curves and some some early humps to get over. I got a feeling Aaron Donald will adjust, but I think just he'll adjust fine. just. Fine. I think the I person do. who's going to have to adjust the most is uh, Robert Quinn. I was I was going to talk Robert about Quinn's going to. Robert Quinn's going to be like a Clay Matthews type guy where they're just going to ask him Hopefully. to just bust bust open every passing uh, um, uh, opportunity and, and then just play up, play play a little linebacker. So that, that's what we'll have to see. see because Aaron Donald, action. Aaron Donald has done all of his damage so far in a 4-3 scheme. Yep. Yep. So we'll see what happens. Uh, and then we have our special teams coach, John Fossil. You know him as the interim head coach last year after uh, Jeff Fisher got shit-canned. Thank God. God, it was a long time coming. He's a holdover. Uh, that skinny motherfucker. He is made a holdover. It. He enters his fifth season as special teams coordinator for the Rams, and he came along with the team from St. Louis last year. He's been with them since 2012. I'd say the biggest feather in his cap has got to be this, his development of uh, Rams punter Johnny Hecker. Yeah, baby. He's believed uh, by many, and uh, including myself, to be the best punter in the NFL. Uh, he led the NFL with 51 punts downed inside the 20 last year and set a new single season record for net punting average of uh, 46 yards. Guess who held the record before? For that, Johnny Hecker. Hey, if it ain't broken, don't one. fix it, That's right? Exactly right. And I like Greg the Leg Zerline too. I do. Greg I the Leg Zerline. We have a solid kicker, and this is not the time, first time that Jim Fazzle has molded a Pro Bowl punter, a special teams coordinator for the Raiders from 2008 to 2011. Uh, he coached a Pro Bowler, a three-time Pro Bowler in Shane Leckler, who used to be like he could punt the ball 80 yards yeah. just yeah. like yeah he's amazing yeah he was incredible um and there is some potential for the return game to be semi-explosive benny cunningham is a good returner uh and Tavon austin for as crummy as he is as a wide receiver is also a, is a threat on kickoff and punt returns so those are your big three uh uh coaches i'm not really going to get into the positions if you really want to look at that you can go to the rams website uh but those are our big three uh uh the coordinator <laughs> positions and the head coach positions yeah go fuck yourself <laughs> such a mean thing to is say. that a mean thing to say the internet exists yeah. you could go, go find it out yourself go yeah. click go click your button it's called google <laughs> <laughs> whatever whatever you guys suck And here to tell us a little bit more about our new head coach here in Los Angeles, Sean McVay, the youngest head coach in the history of the NFL, uh, is my friend Craig Hoffman. Craig uh, is a buddy from Syracuse. He is also, um, he, he does, well, he does a lot of things. He is a radio host. Uh, he is a football analyst. Craig uh, has covered the Redskins for a couple of years now for the ESPN affiliate and uh, radio affiliate in Washington, D.C. Uh, and he actually knows Coach McVay personally or had a relationship with him uh, when they were in in uh, uh, Washington together. So I guess uh, I guess just start us off telling us a little bit about how you got to know Coach McVay, your, briefly your relationship with him, and, um, you know, kind of your thoughts on what he brings to Los Angeles. Yeah, no, it all kind of ties together in terms of the coach, the man, all of that kind of stuff. I think I can give a little bit of insight to all in the same answer to that question. So as you mentioned, I work for the ESPN affiliate. I now work for the CBS affiliate. Um, when I worked for the, EV the ESPN affiliate, I worked with Chris Cooley, who played for Sean uh, and then obviously remained close with him uh, as Chris transitioned out of football uh, as a player and into the radio role that he still has for that station now. And they, they were really good friends. And so in my work with Chris, um, I kind of was able to buy, I guess, a little bit of uh, validity with Sean and, and just started talking to him and did an interview with him. And he came away, I guess, impressed with the questions that I asked. I dug into his background which I'm sure you guys have talked about and a lot of your listeners and fans of the Rams know about by now about his grandfather and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, Sean's also a young guy. I mean, he's only a couple of years older than me. Um, so we, we connected on that level as well. And um, so it started just kind of talking about football and talking about life and, and how it went from there. And then um, when the ESPN station uh, here in D.C. decided that the reporter position was one they no longer wanted, uh, which meant that I no longer had a job. Like, honestly, one of the first, only people, first, not just first, but only people that uh, really reached out from the team um, that I had relationships with was Sean. Um, and within a week or so of, of me getting laid off, uh, you know, Sean took me out to dinner. Um, he and Chris took me out to dinner. That's um, awesome. We talked about 
football and life and just, you know, Hey, stick with it. And, you know, so this is someone who not only is just, is is, I think going to be a tremendous coach, which I'm sure we'll get into, but this is a good human being. um, And he cares about the right stuff. And, you know, having been with Sean in the building, out of the building, seeing how he interacts with players, knowing what he thinks about players. um, I, look, I'm biased as hell. But I think you guys got a really, really good coach in L.A., um, and I think he's going to be really, really successful. We're really excited about it, I know. Um, and, and offensively, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, has has taken a quarterback who was a fourth-round draft pick and, and turned him into, you know, one of the elite quarterbacks in the, in the NFL. I mean, he's going to come in here with another really young, malleable guy in Jared Goff. Um, schematically, play calling wise, I know he's been doing the play calling for the last couple of years under Jay Gruden, offensively anyway. What can we sort of expect to see? Um, you know, we obviously you obviously have a weapon in Todd Gurley, but the receiving core on the Rams is is suspect on a good day. Um, so, what can we expect to see from Sean offensively when he comes out in the preseason and eventually the regular season? Yeah, Sean's a guy that believes in attacking matchups, and so he's trying to create favorable matchups for his guys and utilize their strengths. Um, and so, obviously, in Washington, he had a lot of weapons to play with. He was trying to get Jordan Reed in, in favorable matchups one-on-one and then letting him go to work. He was trying to get Deshaun Jackson deep, um, and at times it worked. And it was interesting because I, I think one of the big criticisms of Sean was, oh, we don't throw deep to Deshaun enough. It wasn't because they weren't calling it. It's because Kirk wouldn't look deep a lot of the times. Um, and, you're, you know, and something Sean will tell you a lot. This is a quote that you will hear a lot. I'm only as good as my players. Sometimes that is a, a compliment to his players where he's saying, hey, I've got awesome players, and that's why we're successful. And um, there were also times that he'll, he will never say this publicly, but um, you know, behind the scenes, that same, uh, that same mantra can be true where he's only as good as his players. So if he calls a, a play and the guys don't execute it, it's not his fault. Um, if he had the right play dialed up and you, know, you go back and watch the tape, and there were some times last year where – um, Kirk Cousins would leave some plays on the field, and I just be like, "Wow, that was a great play call by Sean." Um, so, you know, that's that that in terms of matchups is really where he attacks. So, I think that even though he was a pass-heavy guy here in DC, like he's going to run Todd Gurley because that's his best way to move the ball. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a particular like style where he he wants to. You know, he, he's selfish about his passing game or selfish about this. Like, he just wants to move the ball. And whichever way he thinks is most effective to do it, he's going to go to it, and he's going to go to it again and again and again. Well, that's a good thing to hear, my man. And uh, if we could turn Jared Goff even into a poor man's Kirk Cousins, it'd be much better than he performed last year. But I have a question about the difference between Sean and the old coach that we had here and Jeff Fisher. Jeff Fisher was the type of guy that we made fun of relentlessly last year because he seemed to fart in his mouth and then blame it on somebody else. When you said that uh, one of his quotes for Sean McVay is he, you know, I'm only as good as my players, is this a man, I mean, he does not have a good crop of players here, in, uh, especially on the offensive side in Los Angeles for the Rams. Do you think this is a man that can build these players to become better than they are, or do you think this is a team that needs to build, build, build for the future, and it might be two or three years down the line till we can see the full McVay offense? Well, it's going it's to be some area of both. I mean, when Sean says I'm only as good as my players, he always says that in a complimentary manner. You know, I, I'm the one saying it works both ways where, you know, if, if his players screw up, you know, obviously that's going to reflect on the coach. Mm-hmm. Sean, when things go right, I'm only as good as my players. When things goes wrong, when things go wrong, I got to coach better. So that that is going to be, you know, and he's right. Um and halfway both times, right? Like mm-hmm. there are times where he could coach better, uh, and times where the coaching is the reason for success. There are times players are going to play great. There's times players are going to play like crap. At the end of the day, in the NFL, like if you don't have the talent, coaches can't work miracles. They're coaches, not miracle workers. But coaches can make players better. And if you look at you know some of the offensive skill players that he's worked with most closely, Jordan Reed was a guy he worked with um, in the tight ends room before Sean was elevated to the offensive coordinator. He and Jordan were really tight. They had a great relationship. Sean was definitely a reason why Jordan got better. Some of the receivers that they had here continued to evolve over the mm-hmm. course of their careers, You know, whether it be Deshaun Jackson, obviously it was, it was tremendous before he got here and continued to play really well. Um, Pierre Garçon, same thing. And you know they were able to find ways to use Pierre. Um, Jamison Crowder was terrific, um, and they found ways to use him. 
And then obviously at the quarterback position, what they did with Kirk Cousins, um, they were really, really, you know, successful with a guy that, you know, teams were obviously not super high on coming out of the draft because he went in the fourth round. Mm -hmm. Um, So publicly and the way he supports his players privately, like that's all not going to be a problem. Sean is not one to pass the blame. If things go wrong, he is going to take the blame. And I also think that he has the skill set and the ability to connect with players from a personality standpoint and a technical standpoint where he's just, he's a football savant, man. You know, I mentioned that dinner uh, that I had with him and, and Chris, and Chris was known and is still known as one of the smartest players the league has seen in the last decade or so. And they would start talking football, and I was lost, man. Like, they're talking about, you know, well, if, if the zebra goes here, we're just going to alert the delta. And I'm like, sure, we'll call the brigade. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> this is a brilliant football mind, um, and so and he's able to translate it uh, to players in a way because he was a player too. Um, you know, he was a he was a college player at University of Ohio, and so our University of Miami of Ohio, mm-hmm. and so like he's got that perspective too. He's young and that, it, but in a way that connects with players, but they still respect it. Um, he draws those lines for sure. Um, and, and just his work ethic is something you can't help but respect. So it's kind of a long and convoluted answer, but hopefully it actually did answer the question. What do you think is going to be the keys for him in this offense the first year, but also the second and third year? What are the things that we as fans, because we know he's a young guy and they didn't hire him to be a quick fix. What do you think is the is the crux for him in building a core here in Los Angeles like he did in Washington? Yeah, I think it's to start, it's, it's just simple stuff and it's a lot of, going to be a lot about player development. And you know, what scares me out in L.A., you know, there's some of the advanced statistics, you know, DVOA and things like that, where, like, Jared Goff was the worst quarterback that we've ever seen last year. And so, like, there's a chance that, much like Robert Griffin here, where the quarterback is going to be the issue, not the coach. And you just hope that, like here, you know, if Sean makes it – and look – Sean was Sean knew that Robert Griffin was not the answer, as did all of the coaches here. And, you know, they kind of know that being eventually allowed to switch to Kirk Cousins probably saved all of their jobs. Um, and then obviously Sean was able to get a new job uh, by being successful with Kirk. Um, so I would think that that, in a way, is going to buy him some validity out in L.A., where if he all of a sudden starts working with Goff and in year two, by the end of year two, he's like – he goes to ownership and management is like, this is not the guy like this. He's just not good. And they, they allow him to move on to someone else. But in the meantime, obviously he's going to put a lot of time and effort into developing golf to working with him, not only on the practice field from a technical aspect, if there's things that need to be fixed in his delivery, but obviously the biggest part of playing quarterback is decision-making. Yeah. So what Sean, I think will try to do is simplify that to make sure like, all right, you're looking here. Your eyes belong here. If this guy, if guy, if this guy does A, you do A. If this guy does B, you do B. And if you can simplify the offense to that level in the NFL and still be successful, that's a mark of a pretty darn good coach. Got it. Uh, well, before we let you go, and thank you for coming on and talking to us, and we will be sure to have you on uh, in the season as it goes. So you said that uh, we've learned that Sean McVay is a football guy, is a football savant, but you said you've had many dinners with him, and we need to know here. Just one. We need Just to know. One. Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we need to know who the man is coming in, and what does Sean McVay like to drink? Is he a beer guy? Is he a whiskey guy? Tequila? That's what are we going a good for? Question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, All the above? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, I, I believe most of the times I've been with, and it's not like I've been with Sean socially a ton. It, it's like two or three. Um, you know, he was he was kind of busy. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you don't say. I, I want to say he's a beer guy from from what I can remember. I want to say it was beer both times that uh, that we've been out socially. It's a football guy okay. move. To yeah, drink it's beer. a totally football guy move. I can dig it. And in sure. a football and, yeah. and in a football quote today, he said, "We're still undefeated." <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Sean, I will, I will say this. I would beat Sean up um, and after press conferences and just be like, Thank, thanks, Mr. Soundbite. He, he is a lot of talking cliches, walking, talking cliches when it gets to being in front of the microphone. But what's fun is he b- believes in a lot of that stuff. Like, it's a lot of coach speak, but it's like, you know, he talks about being process-oriented and things like that. Like, that stuff he believes in, and it's good stuff. Like, if, if he can actually get guys to buy in, which I think because – he means it genuinely. He will. 
then that's stuff that, that, that is really effective. I mean, Belichick is process oriented too and talks about it all the time. You know, and Sean's not that boring. Um, but oh, thank goodness. <laughs> you guys in, in the radio world, he'll give you the perfect 20 second sound bite and he'll do it for damn near every answer. It's fantastic. And that was always fun in DC because Joe Barry, who was the defensive coordinator, is now your linebackers coach, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe, Joe would ramble for about a minute 40 per answer. And never used, uh, even for Tom Brady, would call him 12. Uh, <laughs> never used last names. Always used Always numbers. Time. That's funny. So the, con- the contrast between those two was always fun as the two coordinators. Really stark. See. Yeah, I'll bet. Craig, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your insight on Coach McVay. We're really excited to have him. He's got the uh, – he's he's definitely a, a excited Ram Ram Nation, and, and they need some excitement with uh, a much sexier team coming in not too far down the road in the newly minted Los Angeles Chargers. Yes, nothing says sex appeal like a bolo tie. (laughs) That's exactly right. Thank you, Craig. Craig, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time, man. You got it. Enjoyed it. All right. That was Craig Hoffman joining us from Washington, D.C. He is a Redskins beat reporter with the CBS affiliate there and a friend of mine from Syracuse University when I attended there uh, back in the uh, late 2000s. So thanks again, Craig, for joining us. Coming up next, Tony is going to fill us in on the Cornerstone Players of our Los Angeles Rams. So, until then, ram it. And welcome back, Left Coasters. Dangles, again, thank you for getting your buddy. He was awesome. That was a lot of insight. I'm glad insight. you enjoyed it. He was, it was really good. I'm, it, was, it was an insight we don't normally get to get here on the Left Coasters. So as soon as we obviously got Sean McVay, I was like, we got to get Craig on the podcast. McVay's got a fan. I know man. he'll have some good stories. No, it's have some good stories. No, it's perfect. And we will, with our next episode coming in August, we will be doing a friends and family episode where really the whole entire episode is going to be interviews and people in the studio sort of bouncing around. We're picking everyone's brain on what's upcoming with this 27 season because it's right around the corner guys it is right there and i'm getting very excited about it i don't know about you uh but what we're doing right now is i got some of the players that we should be excited about as rams fans heading into this 2017 season these are your cornerstone players and there is not a better person to start with than the man the myth legend aaron donald he is a straight up gorilla beast of a defensive lineman beast pro football focus has him ranked as the best player in the nfl whoa Period. The best player in, in the, the NFL. In the whole damn league? In the whole damn league. He is the only member of the NFL's top 100 list for 2017. He came in ranked, uh, only member of the Rams on that list. He came in ranked number 15, which is, you know, a little bit low, but that's something done by the players where you're high profile. Julio Jones of the world are going to be ranked higher. But Still impressive say, for a D-tackle. Exactly. He is an impressive player and an impressive person. But he will be asked, as Dangle said, to change his game a little bit as they jump into the 3-4. What he has done in the 4-3 over the past few seasons has been nothing short of amazing. Last season, he had eight sacks and five passes deflected. He had 31 QB hits and 17 tackles for losses, both of those stats being the most in the NFL. So he is a, a mammoth of a man, and he just blows up the line, and you have to account for him every single time. And when you have someone who can blow up the line immediately, right at the jump of the football, every offense needs to account for that. Oh, yeah. And that's, a, that's an asset to have. He also is someone that, they will, that we will be looking at with a contract situation coming up because he is heading now into his fourth year, and they will be reconstructing his contract to make yeah. it A, work under the salary cap, and B, pay him enough money to stay in Los Angeles where it might not be a winning team for quite some time. Well, and we just talked about how, you know, this is going to be somewhat of a transition year for him as he shifts into this 3-4 defense. But again, you know, being able to stay at that three technique uh, uh, down lineman position, I think is going to still open them up for him to just be a disruptive force. I'm really excited to see him coming off the line. The last thing you want to see is him in a different uniform. So you got to A, keep him happy, and B, keep him around and pay him the money he deserves because there's no one better according to Pro football focus. Uh, another person on that defensive line that is asked, being asked to change his position is Robert Quinn. He is 27 years old, and he uh, has set sack numbers of amazing quantities in the past few seasons. He is being asked to become now an outside linebacker, which does not fit his normal strength set of hand in the ground rushing off of the edge. He, of course, will be able to blitz from the edge, but he might be asked to cover more and play more an outside contain in the run game that he was not asked to do prior. But he may need this change because, guys, the the 19-sack season from Robert Quinn when he sort of came out of nowhere was all the way back in 2013. In 2014, it fell to 10.5 sacks. 
2015, five sacks. And last year, just four. So on this dominant defensive line, where you have great players all over the place, including Aaron Donald, who is a gorilla on the inside, for you only come away with nine sacks over the past two seasons. Injuries aside, that is something that needs to be improved upon when you're 27 years old. You're in the prime of your career. You need to be putting up those sack numbers that you need to see. Oh, yeah. Not good enough. No, clearly not good enough. So this outside linebacker move may help him, but honestly, if he does not fit the bill, you could see Robert Quinn is gone as early as the trade deadline. Really? Wow. That's in my early. Opinion. That's He's really paid early. a lot of money to only have nine sacks over the past two seasons. And if they're going to make a scheme switch where he doesn't fit the scheme and he can't get it, there's yeah, no reason to hold on. The, why keep him on the team? It's not like they're going to win a playoff game this year. Why not get rid of him no. for what and you he can could, now? And he could bring in some def- He could bring in some big, you know, cheddar in terms of, of, of skill level from you know outside. They could use. I mean, they could trade him away for some offensive talent. That would not be a bad thing. I, w- I mean, <laughs> I would all. love for him to be on the defensive line. I think he's oh, a beast of, course, of a player, of but he needs to improve his stats. Period. Uh, the person who does not need to improve his stats, the man named Alec Ogletree, who was the middle linebacker last year and just became a tackling force. He was seventh in the league in tackles, was 136, but he was fourth in the league in solo tackles, which is the real number you want to see. That means when he got to the guy, he brought them down, and there was no getting around Alec Ogletree in the middle. This is another guy that needs to move his position around because he will not be the the sole middle linebacker in a 3-4 scheme. He will rather now share that uh, responsibility with another player, which may help him because he was not the best in pass coverage, but there might not be a better run-stopping middle linebacker than Alec Ogletree. He just pounds pounds the runner when he's running We've been the field. excited about him since since we started the podcast, basically. He was one of the first people that we looked at as a real game-changer on this defense besides Aaron Donald. And, the, it's, and it's great to see a, a first-round draft pick rise to yes, that level. Yes, absolutely. So Absolutely. good, good player development, great selection of players, especially at the position at the middle. Now it's linebacker. just about now it's and now it's just about it. It's it's execution on the football field is what it comes down to. I, I'm not going to lie to you. Looking at this defense, there's not a lot of holes here. There's not a lot of people that even I in would the secondary. say. Even I, I like this defense a lot, and it's led by Aaron Donald, who I forgot to mention. There's not many players on the Rams or the Chargers that would start for any team in the NFL. True. Aaron Donald is one of those players. Yes. Doesn't matter where he goes, he is the starter on that team. Yes. And it's uh, he needs to be the focal point of the defense, but also of the team. I think if Jared Goff, if this, and we'll get into Jared Goff in a second, if he can't handle the responsibility of leading L.A., put Aaron Donald on the on the billboards out there. <laughs> I get would, that fat man out there and get him talking to the media. You know what I mean? He yeah. needs to be a focal point. And 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 if he's going to be putting up stats like he's going to be doing hopefully and and you're going to be a team like the Baltimore Ravens where your defense is the focal point yes. of your team. Yes. Put them on a put them on put get their jerseys out there. Put them on a billboard. Get them out there and be the face of something. It's just not sexy in this t- today's NFL though to be to have I uh, you know JJ Watts the face of Houston. Why can't Aaron Donald be the face of LA. He's just got to come up with some big I, highlights. I don't know. JJ Watt's got that it factor that that Donald just doesn't because it's it's the off the field thing too mm-hmm. is is that JJ Watt is not just the reason he's so good in Houston is because he is awesome off the field. He does all this charity work and mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of philanthropy. He throws touchdowns. He throws touchdowns. I mean, he can do it all on the field Touches as well, touchdowns. but Aaron Donald is not a known commodity as a human being. Like I follow JJ Watt on Instagram. And 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 shit like that, and because I'm interested in like his life, because he goes places and does cool stuff. I don't have any idea what the fuck Aaron Donald posts on his Instagram because I don't care. I don't know who he is in a person. So what, He's never made me want to care. What you're saying is you want more Instagram inspirational videos set to no, like I'm 2000 level. If you're rock gonna music. stick a guy on a billboard and make him the face of your franchise, he should be a known quantity to your a brand. fan base. A I brand. He needs to be a brand. I'm just worried that if we don't feed the big man, he's gonna leave, and that would be a devastating thing to the Los Angeles I wouldn't, Rams. Re- I wouldn't be surprised if he left anyway because uh, this franchise uh, is in a rut and I think Aaron Donald more than anything else like being on a billboard or posting cool things to his Instagram feed wants to win yes yes so don't we all uh, moving on to the side of the ball that is the reason that the Rams are not winning we have some players on the offense that are definitely their cornerstones and we just talked about how Alec Ogletree is a first round pick that panned out guys we got a couple of first round picks here yeah, that are just didn't uh, well we don't know yet <laughs> it is still very early for both of these guys and first we're going to start with Todd Gurley the running back who had a great, great rookie year. The season that Todd Gurley had uh, last year was not the best. He had 885 yards of rushing, which was the same amount as Jeremy Hill, uh, Jaquiz Rogers, and Matt Forte. Matt, <laughs> F- 
Matt Forte, <laughs> who is 47 Rogers, years by old. The way, can we just remember that Jaquiz Rogers was like the fourth running back down the depth chart for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after they lost everybody else? Yep. <laughs> yep. And our stud had this had it was actually less rushing yards than those three players. Oh my God. Uh, his average was really the the bad part. And again, this the offensive line was terrible last year. They looked to be better this year, but still, the running back can make plays happen. His average was 3.2 yards per carry. It was less than these three players, Rashard Jennings, who's 72 years Rashad, old. Rashad, my homie. Matt Asiata, who is solely a goal line back, and you don't know how many times in my fantasy team he had a one-yard rush for a touchdown and couldn't get it. So for him to have a better average than He's Todd Gurley is terrible. I hate him in fantasy. He's such a fucking touchdown And he vulture. also had less uh, rushing yards than a man who was drafted right by him, T.J. Yeldon. Uh, huh. a- uh, average yards per rush. So my man Todd Gurley, uh, for him to be as picked as high as he was, he needs to simply, again, perform better. That's what we want. We were looking for a better year out of many players on the Rams and Todd Gurley first and foremost. We just didn't get it. The second guy that we need a better year out of is our man Jared Goff. They traded the farm for him. They picked him number one. He's the reason Jeff Fisher was allowed to stay on another year and then was fired halfway through. He took over the job for Case Keenum and actually performed worse than Case Keenum. While his yardage will not be the same because he did not start as many games, we can look at his average and his QB rating. His average was 54.8%. 54.8% he's completing a pass. That so is it's basically a coin flip or whether he completes it or not. That is right around the area of vaunted QBs as Bryce Petty, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Josh McCown. Yikes. This is the first round pick of the whole NFL. He had a QB rating, which again is a little bit of a flawed stat, but he had a QB rating of around 63, which was less than Matt Barkley, Brock Osweiler, and it was 13 points less than Case Keenum, the man he replaced. So my man Jared Goff, the first round pick. He has a new offense coming in. And we, we, we profiled him at the beginning of last year, and I want to bring back a stat that we had from last year because I think it speaks true to Jared Goff. As good as Jared Goff was in Cal, in the three years he was at Cal, listen, when you go to Cal, there are four teams that you mark on your calendar every year. You have USC, you have UCLA, you have Stanford, and you have Oregon. Those are the four teams. I was going to say Arizona, but okay. Those are the four teams <laughs> that are profiled in football. Arizona. Those are the four teams yeah, that are big in football in the Pac-12. So those four teams in three years, you know what Jared Goff's record against those three teams was? Terrible. 0-12. Really terrible? He Oof. did not beat a single one of those teams that you would circle heading in in any of his years as a starter at Cal. So him coming out of there, there were some red flags already, but we also didn't know how maybe dumb he was. But we do now? <sighs> we may know now. His well, decision-making okay, well, last year was terrible. His quotes on HBO Hard Knocks, we didn't know where the sun set, did not paint a pretty okay, picture yeah, for the I future of this say, franchise. Because that was my only real you know, inkling into this, was that, that quote about him not knowing that the sun rises in the east. It ain't a good start. No. This came from Aiden Gonzalez, the ESPN staff writer. We went to Thousand Oaks to talk to the Rams uh, heading out of OTAs. And the headline of this article, Jared Goff on the Rams offense, quote, I've understood all of it and grasped all of it so far. Now, this is supposed to be a positive headline. What does that sound like? This is supposed to be a positive headline. But at no point... <laughs> Not our president. If, if I have... <laughs> listen, if I have my quarterback that I'm trusting everything with, that I've traded everything with, the words in the headline out of the mouth should not be, yeah, I got it. I understood it. <laughs> it should That should not be your, your goal after it, as if I understand it. This no. offense is going to be the best offense you've ever seen. It's going to be a tremendous no offense. Believe me. You need to That's have, what he's saying. It needs to be more faith. It needs to be more levels. It I'm shouldn't be I understood the offense. It, mean, it should be I excelled in this offense. That's how good I've been doing. So I'm a little worried about Jared Goff. And then finally, the last thing I will complain about is my man Tavon Austin. The forty-four million dollar man. Right, are, are you going to blame him, or are you going to blame the Rams organization for doing for giving him the amount of money and t- and and contract that that they that they they shelled over to him for doing nothing? It's a little bit of both. But my man, if you're getting paid X amount of dollars, you need to have more. He had uh, he is 99th in the league last year in receiving with 509 oh yards, 
509 yards. That's less than Tajay Sharp, who's a rookie. Philip Dorsett, who's the fourth-ride receiver in Indy. That's less than Antonio Gates, who's 1,000 years old. That's less than <laughs> Charles Clay and C.J. Fedorowicz. That's less He's than J.J. Nelson. That's YouTube. less than Vernon Davis. I mean, that's less than Victor Cruz, who I don't even remember Victor him catching Cruz a ball last he died. year. Victor Cruz didn't even play a full fucking season. And Tavon Austin, granted he had Case Keenum and Jared Goff throwing him the ball, but my man, you got to make something out of nothing. He is getting paid around the same money as Keenan Allen and Randall Cobb. Would you rather have Keenan Allen and Randall Cobb instead of Tavon Austin right now? Any day of the week. I'd have Randall. I'd rather have Randall Cobb's left testicle. What would it take for the Rams to trade Tavon Austin for Randall Cobb? It'd take about three first-round picks. Yeah, and the Packers front office doing a whole lot of drugs. So what I'm saying is if you're getting paid this much money, man, it's time to nut up. It's time to Agreed. step onto the field and make plays because 509 yards we cannot have. We were calling him out before we were calling him out before he even took the field as the $44 million Rams, weren't we? Yes. yes. So they signed uh, Robert Woods as well. They signed another couple of players that should make plays. The offensive line should be better. But as for the cornerstone players, the defense looks strong with a lot of question marks. The offense has a needs improvement sign pretty much hanging at every level. That's what I have for the players, guys. But there is hope on the horizon because we have a draft class coming in. And Brian the Ballerina Balzarini is going to do what he does best coming up next in breaking down the Rams 2017 draft class. As I go on and I catch my breath again, ram it. And welcome back, Coasters. Uh, quick reminder, if you want to check us out, send us any information or ask questions, please check us out, the Left Coasters podcast at gmail.com. Also, we're going to have a lot of updates coming coming your way on Instagram and Facebook, so please check us out at the Left Coasters podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Well, guys, I, we've been talking a lot of ups, a lot of downs. We had some highs with Sean McVay. We had some lows with the offense, and 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 Tony, we rightfully so have well, some. Well, he did a great job in putting all the information together. It's just you know, unfortunately, the offense. There's not much to uh, not uh, as as Chief Bar Brady from South Park would say. Move along, people. Nothing to see here. Absolutely, absolutely, and and that's and that's a fair assessment. But what we do have is a clean slate ahead of us in the 2017. NFL draft picks for the LA Rams. Um, as Craig pointed out, the first selection of the Sean McVay era and the LA Rams was at the 44th overall selection in round two, and that was Gerald Everett, tight end, South Alabama. Now, what makes this pick oh so juicy is the fact that he came from a small school, but fits the mold of a tight end position that in the Sean McVay world is so important. Is crucial. There is not a better coach to coach a tight end than Sean McVay just off of stats alone last year. And I I for one am excited about having a guy at 6 foot 3, 239 pounds, a four-year starter who came in in the last two seasons, caught 90 passes, 1,200 yards, 12 touchdowns, and was named All-Sun Belt Conference each season. Um, He's got speed, he's got athleticism, he's got great ball skills. He needs to be a better blocker, but in a Sean McVay world, that may not be necessary. And I think that's going to be an interesting development for the Jared Goff um, conundrum, if you will. What are the players and who are the players that are going to revolve around him to make him a better player? And I think it is no better uh, testament to to all the great, great quarterbacks who have a baby blanket in the tight end position. And I think uh, along with fourth round pick last year, Tyler Higby, they've got two Ram tight ends right now that are going to do a great job in giving him the, the necessary uh, red zone options, the underneath routes. Uh, they need that to they're going to need a safety blanket for him essentially and it needs to be his his outlet to go to when when there's nowhere else to go basically i mean this is this is an un- a largely unproven quarterback i i mean you know despite the fact that he comes from a you know a bear this bear raid offense that they run at cal um where you know obviously you're throwing deep a lot i'm just not sure jared goff's ready to go long in the nfl yet and and what's great is at the tight end position, he doesn't necessarily have to go long. He's got and he doesn't seams. have the tools to go long really either. You at know? the moment, so. exactly at the moment. Now it leads us into the next pick, uh, which was at the 69th position in round three, and that was Cooper Cup of uh, Eastern Washington. Now this guy was Cooper prolific. Cup, baby, Cooper Cup, love that name. Six two U P P, right? Yeah, <laughs> K U P P, man. 
Uh, six foot two, two hundred four pounds. He finished his career with four hundred twenty eight catches, seventy three t- touchdowns, and six thousand. 400 yards. You said Eastern Washington? Eastern Washington. Oh, so he had to play on that god-awful red field they have. He did indeed. Very good memory. Uh, but uh, that is the... Uh, the oh, yeah. That's if more than yeah, any if you college... you know that, yeah, Eastern Washington has a red turf on their field. Like, uh, Boise State Right next door to Boise turf. State. Yes, sir. Uh, that's more than any collegiate player had at any level in terms of yards. Uh, he was the FCS Offensive Player of the Year the past two years. That's great. That's impressive. So they've got a pedigree. Now, he's not a fast guy. He ran a 4.62 at the Combine. The so past two years, you said? Fast two that's, years. And that's, okay, so, and that is one of those years was while he was competing against Carson Wentz. Yes, sir. So there you go, just to give a give a, a, a suggestion on that. Yes, and, and, and I think he's going to be another guy that's going to be another weapon for Jared Goff. So what we're watching here is there's just going to be no excuses, basically. because But what's interesting also with the selection of Cooper Cup we also have a guy who's kind of in the same mold as a Tavon Austin. Now, remember, Tavon Austin's got a little bit more speed. He's a little bit more of a Deshaun Jackson type. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're also talking about guys that are playing in the slot. Mm-hmm. You know, So who's going to be that outside guy? And they turned around, uh, and actually that'll answer that question just shortly, right before we get to uh, the number 94. Number ninety-one selection in round three, and that's John Johnson out of out of Boston College, a safety. This poor kid. His parents named him John. <laughs> really, John I've Johnson. never understood. Like as a par- just a brief side tangent. As a parent, if you name your kid the same thing as your last name already is, you're a terrible person. And and there's no chance. I know he's coming from Boston College, and this is my hometown, and I'm gonna talk bad about him. But there's no chance a man named John Johnson is intelligent. I'm sorry, <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> Even like if got, I could see him on like NBC at night, John Johnson, Boston caught like there's no chance. Even no if you've chance. got BC money, no. All right. No. Well, anyway, Wade Phillips saw something in this guy, and he's going to provide potentially a a um, a future at the safety position when you consider the fact that their safeties are not potentially going to be under contract in the next year. So he's going to be the guy who's backing everybody up and potentially moving into that starter position in the not-too-distant future. And then we get to, I personally love this selection, at the uh, 117th pick in round four, Josh Reynolds, wide receiver, Texas A&M. Another guy who I think could end up being the outside wide receiver that we've been hoping somebody comes out and plays as uh, six foot three, 194 pounds, great leaping ability, um, average 17 yards per catch. His uh, 2,700 yards receiving and 30 touchdowns in the past two years led the SEC. But so so he's going to be that guy that I hopefully Sean McVay has in a player that can say to Jared Goff, "Hey, dude, you got a big arm. We pitch you at number one. Throw it down downfield. That's what an air raid offense does." Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and he he, he needs maybe that's what he needs to feel a little bit more comfortable is is, is somebody who he knows he can throw to downfield and and who's going to be open. But it's also going to come down to some of the you know Sean McVay is going to have to call plays that cater to Jared Goff's throwing and playing style. That's the only way he's going to be successful to start with. I think once he gets once he shows that he can play, then you can start kind of maybe pushing him in the direction you want him to go as a quarterback. But until then, I, I think Sean's got to just basically work with what he's got. So that's three out of the first four picks are again baby blankets for Jared Goff. Mm-hmm. And, and John Johnson. And John Johnson <laughs> out of Boston College. John Johnson. So, and then just to rip through the next couple picks, we've got a we've got an outside linebacker from Eastern Washington. The Rams oh, picked wow. two for uh, two players two from that red field. Eastern Washington. Uh, they picked him up at the. Uh, um, his name is Samson Ebucom. Samson. Hey. Ebucom. Better than John Johnson. <laughs> uh, he's going to be a guy who's going to be an outside linebacker with his uh, stand-up DN position in that lovely 3-4 that we're going to be seeing this year. And then we've got a defensive tackle, Tanzel Smart out of Tulane, another another fun name. We've got uh, Sam Rogers, fullback out of Virginia Tech. All right. So we got a guy who could be paving the way for uh, Todd Gurley to come. And then another outside linebacker from, out of Pittsburgh called Ejuan Price. Ejuan, Ejuan. I don't know if the J is silent. How do you spell it? E J U A N. It's E one. E one. E one. Yeah. E one. E one. Price. So all, all I get out of this is John Johnson, and also um, I Cooper really Cup. want I really want Cooper Cup to become a big playmaker. So when we throw deep to him, we can all say, "Oh, Cup check." <laughs> <laughs> so 
Uh, that'll be funny for the first time, and then I'll throw you out of my house if you make the joke. There's no lamp um, in this. There's no lamp in this draft. No, but, no, no, Johnson, no but, but we do have. We we get to love lamp on the Chargers. I there's no get, lamp for us to I love. I may get on. beaten up, but I'll be doing John Johnson <laughs> jokes for the rest of. So the for time. the most Johnson. part, for the most <laughs> part, to put a button on this draft class, what you're seeing in this draft class is nothing spectacular. Role players, guys that are going to come in, provide some help and and service to. Uh, to Jared Goff, and maybe, just maybe, we could find a little diamond in, in, in the likes of some, one of these pass catchers that can kind of maybe make waves so that guys like Tavon Austin can can get free. Guys like Todd Gurley don't, won't have an eight-man eight box loaded yep. up. So just hoping that something comes in and there's good, great scheming in this West Coast offense that's going to give Sean McVay the next opportunity. If you can get any starters out of this draft class when you're starting off at number 44 overall, then that's a success. So that's all I would matters. I would agree with that. And, you know, hey, Rome wasn't built in a day, so it's going to take some time, and McVay's new, and he's getting some building blocks, and as you said, he got some he got some security blanket-type players for Jared Goff on the offensive side of the ball, which I think is going to be really important. So let's do it. Let's move on to what we're all here for, and that's breaking down the schedule and giving our win-loss record for the oh 2017 Los Angeles Rams. Brian, you want to uh, send it out for us? Ram it. Okay, and just like we did with the Los Angeles Chargers, we're going to go through the Los Angeles Rams 2017 schedule. You guys are going to give me a win or a loss, and at the end of it, we'll see where we stand. Are you two ready? I'm ready, and before we start, how bummed are you that the fourth preseason game is against the Packers in Green Bay? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I'm really angry about it, actually. I would have loved to see my Packers out here. They play the Chargers in the third game, though, at uh, the Coliseum. That should be a good one. Yes, I'm probably going to go. All right, so first week one. We get Andrew Luck hosting Andrew Luck of Indy. Win or loss? Loss. Loss. You guys, Indy's not good. Andrew Luck is going to be coming back this year with a vengeance. He's he pissed. is pissed off He's about pissed. the shitty season they had last year. He's got the. I'm pretty sure T.Y. Hilton did lead the league in receiving yards last year. Did he not? Doesn't matter because Los Angeles is winning. He did. All right. So second game, we host Sean McVay's old team, the Washington Redskins, in the Coliseum. That's a quick reunion. Um, I think that's going to be a loss as well if you start the season out on two. Guys, I see us winning that game. Who knows Washington better than Sean McVay? Week three three on a Thursday night quick turnaround at the San Francisco 49ers. This is a win for me. I like a win Mm. for this. I think think they can pull it off. It's their first uh, division rival of the season, and the 49ers are coming in with another new head coaching staff. They've got a lot of new players on that team. Uh, I, I absolutely think they win that game. For w. some reason, I think it's a loss. I don't know why. Uh, What's we, wrong with you? Are you just I'm, doing this to I'm, No, no. I'm like, I actually yeah, thought about this. you right, No, I thought about this writing this down. I, for some reason, the big quick words. turnaround after a big win against Washington. First game, San Fran's going to be hopping. Whatever. Uh, the Week four through seven is the toughest stretch of the Rams' schedule. They start off at Dallas. Ugh. Loss. Yeah, I'm right there. Loss. That's if you said win there, now yeah. I would have thought they you were crazy. Then turn around and they host the Seattle Seahawks. Is that one? That's in Los Angeles. That looks like I'm looking at. That's what happens that's when in, you host it. Yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you, you, I'm gonna go with a loss. Whatever. Loss. They're losing that game. Uh, then they are at the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think they win that one. See, I like Jacksonville mm, this year. I think, I think that's beat, a loss. Yeah, you picked them to beat San Diego too. I did. Uh, Dangle. Uh, Brian. Uh, so you have a win, Dangles. Uh, for the Rams at Jaguar. Yep. At the Jaguar. This is in this is in Jacksonville. Just say win. Jaguars. Okay. The Jaguars play. Yeah, the Jaguars play well at Everbank, but I still think the Rams win that game. Brian. Rams. All right. So then we have uh hosting the Arizona Cardinals, who I believe are going to be a much better team, and I have them losing the Arizona. Yeah, they lose, lose that the game, Arizona. I think. Okay. And then they are uh week eight, which is their bye week, which again is the perfect bye week, and the Packers never seem to get it. Week nine. Oh, boo fucking who. Week nine. They come back from the bye week, and they are at Eli Manning and the New York Giants. Loss. Loss. I hate the Giants. They're going to win. I had San Diego beat them. Uh, you said lot, that same thing. The Chargers okay, beating yeah, them, exactly too. That's exactly right. Uh, week, 10 is ho- consistent. week 10 is hosting Houston. Hmm. Houston with um Houston with a new quarterback in Deshaun Watson with JJ Watt healthy again um with uh I think this is a lot I like the game with win. Carolina from last year I where it's like 9 I think they three. lose this game. I'm I think they win. lose too. Brian gives them a win. Uh then they are at Minnesota where who knows who the quarterback will be. God. Um at Minnesota yeah. um 
It's who's going to be running that. the ball? Be quick, the defense, baby. The defense is going to be. I still think it's going to be very good. It's going to be too tough for them to. to I think lose, it's a loss. They lose that game. Okay, Trust I have them beating Minnesota. I don't like Minnesota this year. Then they host the New Orleans Saints. Win. They lose that game. You can't keep up with Drew Brees. No, Jared Goff cannot no, keep, up can't keep up with Drew Brees. Just watch this year. Then week thirteen, they are at the Arizona Cardinals. That is a loss for loss. me. Yeah, loss. Then they host Carson Wentz in Philly, which is a great game if you want to go back to the one versus oh, two matchup. God, why? What quarterback would you rather? They host Philly in week. Why 14. is Carson Wentz not wearing a fucking Los Angeles Rams he jersey? He ought to be. He ought to be. Still don't see who this. wins that game. Uh, Carson Wentz. I think Carson Wentz is actually going to probably win that. I'm one. going with Jared Goff. Uh, week 15, they are at Seattle. That is a loss. Yeah, that's, that's a loss. That's totally a loss. Week 16, they are at Tennessee. I think Tennessee is real good this yeah, year. They're going to be fighting a, for playoffs yeah, right then. Loss. That is a loss. And then finally, they end the season hosting San Fran, and I think that is a win. I think they're going to win, win. win that one as well. I think they sweep the French, uh, the 49ers this year. All right, so as I do the math, boys, talk amongst yourselves so about the schedule. I th- I just thought of this from the segment between the segments. I think what's going to be really important for all of these younger players, because I think we're going to find out in a second all the numbers. But for the most part, we're, they're going to have a losing season from all from all accounts. I, I I don't think I don't see as much as I want Sean McVay. I've never wanted seven and nine more for someone. Yes, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. I, I would love for Sean McVay to get a seven McNine, a seven McNine, I seven think and nine. I just don't see it. I think it's going to be really important to keep the people like Todd Gurley's head in the game because from all accounts, it sounds like Todd Gurley was doing what he wanted to do last year when he got the ball. He wasn't running towards the gaps like he was he was supposed to be doing. He wasn't waiting for his blockers. There was a lot of point finger pointing at Todd Gurley to not not doing what he was supposed to be doing. And to me, that's a sign of football's a team sport. I, I, I kind of I that was to me Todd Gurley saying I, I did I did what I wanted to. So it's going to be really imperative that Sean McVay keeps the the draft class and the young players focused and hungry and and keep the veterans you know in line too because they're not going to want to they're not going to want to lose a lot because they've been losing a lot and i know this is a guy who values character a lot as well so i don't i mean you might have been able to get away with that under jeff a guy like jeff fisher ain't gonna happen especially with him being as young as he is you have to also remember and i know tony you're ready with the numbers you also have to remember that there are even players on this team that are older than sean McVay who've been around long i was thinking about this as i'm writing up all my notes i'm like how must wade phillips feel as a defensive coordinator guy who's been all around the place and he's taking orders from a dude who's half his age uh, I bet he loves it. He, I bet he loves what's it. What's the joke? Uh, the joke that he made, or the tweet that he sent out, was like he's the only defensive coordinator on Medicare with a head coach in daycare. But they're gonna have to keep everybody's head in the game as team goes. All right, Tony, give Great. it to us. Well, Here we go. That's what the thing is, is because Sean McVay again. That's tough uh, stretch of schedules. Week four through seven against four very it's good not teams. Easy for them. Two on the road, and if you lose all of those, which we most of us predicted they did then you have to keep them alive. You have to keep them interested for the next half of the season, which is tough for a rookie head coach. But without further ado, Brian, you were in the middle. You had them at a 5-11 and record. Which Feel good is, about that. Which is not very good. Um, I was a little bit higher. I had them at a 6-10 and record. Honestly, wow. going through this, I thought I had a lot more wins than 6-10. and 10. Yeah. Uh, Brian, you were 2-4 and four in the division. I had them going 1-5 and five in the division. And Dangles. Dangles, you had them at 3-13. and 13. Yeah. Dangles, you had them with a nine losses in a row streak. That's that, that, that's a tough streak for them. So it's not looking good, guys. No, I mean, and I, I think I think I think Brian, where where you know where Brian's at, and maybe even where you're at, Tony, is probably a little bit more realistic. I think they will probably get one or two more wins than I, I predicted. I'd like to think that three and thirteen is like a worst case scenario for them. If they go three and thirteen, that's a that's a first or second overall pick. Yeah. Just think about Which that. Which ain't bad. And they're not. I mean, I think we can. Team. I think it's pretty safe to say that Sean McVay is going to get more than one year to prove himself, yes. even if they he does have an atrocious which is, first season. Which is super interesting because this next draft class is just diamond stacked. with diamond stacked with quarterbacks. Hey, hey, what's up, Jared? Well, you got I one mean, more year. Jared, yeah. Speaking of quarterbacks, <laughs> well, maybe we he have, knows that. We have one more segment to do, and it is the segment we're going to be doing for the and, rest of the season. And two of them are in L.A. Sorry. Oh yeah, USC, them, yeah. USC Rosen. and UCLA quarterback Sam, Sam Darn- Ben Rosen's Sam little brother Darnold and uh, Josh Rosen. Ben Rosen's little and brother and Darnold, Sam, Sam Darnold, Darnold from USC. I saw a video of throwing footballs to a, a dude wakeboarding behind a boat. 
like completing passes. So how guy. about this storyline? Jared Goff sucks, and the two quarterbacks who could replace him are, are in the same both city in Los Angeles, and 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 one of them plays on his home turf. God, I love football in Los Angeles. <laughs> okay, moving left coasting. On. Left coasters. Let's move on to the segment we're all here for. Ram it, baby. Okay, so before we go any further, thank you for listening, Left Coasters Universe, to the 2017 breakdown of your Los Angeles Rams. But the whole point of this season, guys, is now we have two teams in Los Angeles. And for the rest of the season, we will be asking ourselves, which team are you more a fan of? And this right here is going to be the jumping off point for the three of us in this room to decide, going into the season, who are we more excited to root for, the Rams? or the Chargers. The best way to do this is the way we did the Super Bowl, where we're going to break down position by position who we like more and what we are deciding to to root for. So where does your gut go with this? So I'm going to start off right now. Philip Rivers versus Jared Goff. Who are you more a fan of? <laughs> I mean, if, uh, if I mean, I that's believe it or not, that's harder not, than that's, an act. I, I was laughing at first, and then I start to think about it, and I'm like, oh, um, I have to go with Philip Rivers. Um, he is the veteran. He is the veteran, the proven one, and um, if there's any sign from the 3-13 and 13 record I just stuck them with, I don't have a lot of confidence in Jared Goff's ability to perform. However, I'd be happy to be proven wrong. Because I want to, I want to eventually be a fan of. I want, I want to be a fan of both of these teams. Um, but I have to go with Phil Rivers. I'm going with Philip Rivers just because I think the guy de- demands class and respect, like and respect from from his from his his entire his, team, from players, and from coaches, and the fans. What I he's got me. Okay, and hey. so many, and he has so many kids. I, I I'm doesn't a, mean I'm not rooting for Jared. Of the kids, I am a fan of the kid. I am right now. If you had to ask me, I'm a fan of Jared Goff. I want him to succeed. The running back situation: you got Melvin Gordon on one side, you got Todd Gurley on the other side. Who are you more a fan of? Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley. You know, uh, I didn't want to be the tiebreaker here because I'm really, really torn because Melvin Gordon is a Wisconsin cat and I really like him. But coming off of that injury, I think Todd Gurley is the better running back. I'm a fan of Todd. Gurley. Wait, wait, wait! Time out. Are we doing fans or are we doing who's better? That matters to me. You have to be good for me to be a fan of you. I'm not They're a fan of you. They're both fucking good, but Melvin player. Gordon's a goddamn yeah, like, a hard hard worker. Yeah, he's but a he stuff. had a shitty. Uh, they are literally foils of one another. He had a shitty sure. first season and a great sophomore season. Gurley had a great first season and a shitty sophomore. But Melvin season. Gordon never like appeared to give up. No. Correct. That but we Ta- know of. We don't know if Todd Gurley gave up either, but it he threw a little tantrum at the very least. Okay, so now we move on to the wide receivers and tight ends. You got Antonio Gates, you got Keenan Allen on the Chargers side, and a new fresh face in Mike Williams, or you have Tavon Austin. I really don't think there's any <laughs> choice here that I am much more excited about the Chargers wide receiving core. Let's move on to the fucking okay. offensive Moving line. Moving on to the offensive line, uh, you have Andrew Whitworth coming in, my boy. I think he's going to save this Los Angeles Rams offensive line. Who are you more a fan of, guys? Oh, Chargers. Yeah. Lamp. Yeah, I love Lamp. Lamp. Absolutely. Well, I'm alone on the offensive line of the Rams. How I've could you al- not pick Lamp? You I've made always such a loved Andrew Whitworth ever since they did the Cincinnati Hard Knocks. He had these little kids jumping on his injured knee, and it's like, dude, your knee is... You're healing an ACL right now, and his kids are just playing on his knee. I don't know why. I well, like being country. a dad, man. I, I like being a dad. Country. All right, defensive line. You got Aaron Donald and Robert Quinn versus Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. That's it's a hell of a ba- oh, uh, matchup. It is here. a hell of a matchup, but you can't argue with pound for pound the best player in the NFL defensively. Anyway, I would say, and that's Aaron Donald. I'm going Chargers on that. I'm going with Aaron Donald, but I mean, I I can see it either way because oh same absolutely. Bosa I love watching Bosa. I don't enjoy I enjoy uh, um, uh, Donald, but I I enjoy watching Bosa because when he like rounds that corner, you you get excited. Moving on, you have linebacking core. You have Alec Ogletree and Mark Barron versus not Manti Teo. <laughs> I like Ogletree a lot. Well, uh, who it, well, uh, who else is on that linebacking core? In San Diego, you don't even know, do you? Not off the top of his All head. All right, anyway. fine. The Rams. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> with the Rams too. Mark Barron, Alec Ogletree, I like them both. Defensive backs, you got Verrett and Casey Hayward in the Charger land, who are, I mean, I'm going with the Chargers, yeah, Chargers just for the old Green yeah. Bay guy. But hey, Tremaine Johnson, EJ Gaines, Lamarcus Joyner, those guys are players for the Rams, and I like them too. So, Dangles, who you got? I still got the Chargers, Casey Hayward and Jason Verrett. You said you said it all. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go the um, with my gut, Rams. Is that your first Rams choice of this whole thing? 
And uh, then last, maybe. last but not least, we have the coaching staff. You have two new coaching staffs on either side. You have Anthony Lynn, uh, uh, Gus Bradley, Ken Wisenhunt versus Sean McVay, Peter Lafleur's younger brother, and Wade Phillips. And <laughs> Matt Lafleur. Who do you have, guys? This is a tough one. This is a tough <sighs> one. Here's the thing. I will start this off by saying I love Wade Phillips, but I am more of a 4-3 defensive guy. That being said, Ken Wisenhunt is a genius on the offensive side. Anthony Lynn is a great running first offense, which I like, but I can't step away from Sean McVay. I like this kid, and I want him to succeed. So I'm going with Sean McVay and the too. Rams. I am too. For I'm that going same with McVay as well because I think Phillip Rivers – has the ability to carry that team like he always has without the coaching staff being at the top of their game. I think Sean McVay is going to be the guy who's going to have yeah. to do all the heavy lifting. I will be more impressed. Playing. I will be more impressed and surprised and if the Rams succeed because of Sean McVay than I will be if the Chargers succeed because of Anthony Lynn. And I think that's probably what's driving my decision. Well, guys, here's here here it is. So in overall uh, totals of the columns. Meaning, if there was a two to one vote, I gave it to the other team. We are four and four. Wow. Right down the middle. Now, as in total votes, total votes for each side, the Chargers got 11 ticks, the Rams got 13. Wow. So, if you believe it, starting out this 2017 season, we are just a little bit more of a fan of the Los Angeles Rams. And we'll be getting more into uh, individual likes and dislikes as the season goes on, but starting off right now, this is a Los Angeles Rams podcast. All right. I did not see that coming no, at all. I didn't see that coming at all, I no. I didn't either. Do you, do you think we tried to be kind to the Rams I a didn't. I gave, my, I truthful, mean, I, I I gave did, my truthful things. I did too. I, did, I, I like Todd Gurley. Too. I like Jared Goff. I love the offensive line. I love the defensive line. I mean, yeah. I got to see this. Hold on. I gave it to you. Wow. And that's our show, ladies and gentlemen. I almost don't believe it. Thank you for listening to the 2017 Los Angeles Rams Breakdown. Future podcast will be the friends and family breakdown, and then we're going to do our two preseason battles heading into the season, which I can't wait for. As always, my name is Tony Cavallo. I'm with Brian the Ballerina Balzarini. I'm with Matt Dangles, Daniel Antonio. Thank you again, Craig uh, Hoffman, son of Trevor Hoffman, for doing a little interview for us. And then finally, as always, Ram. Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at pitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast.